to be honest. I don't know what mentality I was in, but I just realized that if I didn't just do it, I wasn't going to do it. Like I didn't even think about, I kind of thought about my channel name, which was officially, or before it was Lily Whispers ASMR, it was Whispers Lily because Lily Whispers was taken. So it was Whispers Lily and I just didn't even have any graphics on my channel. I think I just uploaded it and was just like, let's see what happens. And it did kind of well. And everyone was really supportive and receptive of it. And I think the feedback is what kept me going. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. You're going, going deep. Well, Lily, thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited to be speaking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. I want to start with a very specific question that I get a lot. I see a lot of people struggle with. And taking your life back to 19, you first heard, I believe it was Lana Del Rey do an ASMR uh, video. So it was actually Appreciate ASMR doing a Lana Del Rey makeup tutorial. Okay. At that point, that was a catalyst for you to go start creating your own videos in this very distinct space. But even just to take that and actually take it in the action of make the thing and then to take the thing that you made and publish it. So many people see that as a significant, significantly daunting uphill battle. What was that process for you before the first time you pressed publish? That's so funny that you asked that because I remember realizing that if I thought about it too much, I wasn't going to do it. I'm pretty much a perfectionist with most things that I do. And I was like, you know what? If I don't just jump in, how do you swim? You jump in the deep end, you figure out how to doggy paddle and God forbid, you just figure out how to swim. Hopefully it works. Yeah, exactly. And so I just remember I was about to go to work and I propped up my iPhone up on, God, I don't even know where it, what it was propped up on, probably like a cup or something. And I filmed my first video. It was 15 minutes long and it was so rushed. I was so nervous. And I remember I published it and I was just like, YOLO, let's just like see what happens. And to be honest, I don't know what mentality I was in, but I just realized that if I didn't just do it, I wasn't going to do it. Like I didn't even think about, I kind of thought about my channel name, which was officially, or before it was Lily Whispers ASMR, it was Whispers Lily because Lily Whispers was taken. So it was Whispers Lily and I just didn't even have any graphics on my channel. I think I just uploaded it and was just like, let's see what happens. And it did kind of well. And everyone was really supportive and receptive of it. And I think the feedback is what kept me going. But it was just kind of like a last minute, like, okay, I have 15 minutes before I have to leave my house for work. Might as well just do this or I'm not going to do it. And it's so interesting that you said that there was like some of that feedback because the other element is someone creates someone publishes, and then everyone kind of, at least I said, like, there's going to be negative feedback, and there's going to be ne- negative critique. But then there's also this, like, untalked about section of, like, there's just no feedback. I put it out there, nothing happened, no one said anything, and there wasn't any reaction. But you, seems like there was a response or feedback pretty quickly after putting it out there for the first time. Yeah, and this was, God, so long ago. And so this was when ASMR content was just beginning. So everyone was just absorbing as much as they can. Now everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people have ASMR channels now and everyone's thinking about making one and everything. So back when it was, there wasn't a lot of content out there, people were constantly searching for it and finding it. So from an SEO perspective and a video SEO perspective, I kind of was in people's feeds. 
And because it's such a niche audience, I feel like that first video, I think I maybe got like 3,000 views on it in like the very first couple of like months or whatever it was. And I was thrilled. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the best video I've ever done. Like, this is amazing. And I had dabbled in YouTube before. So I kind of had an understanding of the platform. But yeah, getting no feedback, which I've had projects where I've gotten no, no feedback on. You're like, oh my God, I'm presenting to a wall. It's kind of, it's kind of daunting in that way. But yeah, I lucked out with getting immediate feedback and immediate good feedback. People were very constructive, I guess. And maybe before the first ASMR video came out, maybe that's kind of what was happening to some degree with the stuff that you had put out before was like, if it elicited such a response the first time you did that, that kind of speaks to, from a comparison standpoint, where the stuff was before that. Is that accurate? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So take me through comparing and contrasting then and now. I mean, for me, what was absolutely eye-opening was to see the Michelob Ultra commercial where- How cool was that? Like it was, and it was completely out of left field. Some people like they try to ruin the ads beforehand and like see what's coming. I had no idea. And I was like, did they just do an ASMR ad in the Super Bowl? It was so funny. My friend from Florida called me like two weeks ago. He's like, Lily, did you see the Michelob <laughs> Ultra commercial? I'm like, listen, buddy, you're a little late. <laughs> like I've definitely seen that. He's like, man, it's so awesome. I was like, yeah. And so the first time you did it, you, you said we were on the phone, but now the gear and just the standard, the competition is raised. When more people come into the space, it's no longer, maybe you could get away with it, but it's the standard for the equipment that you have to use is much, much higher. Much higher. When I started, there were no binaural art microphones. People were using their eye, you know, and people still do that, like kind of, there is a type of ASMR that has a lot of white noise and we call that lo-fi, low frequency, you know, like lo-fi music yeah. and like radio stations like ASMR has a similar thing. I personally love those videos, but then you see these people actually making their own mic microphones. This guy made this microphone with actually four ears on it. And to build that, you think of where technology has grown of like, okay, you were lucky if you had a microphone on either side of the camera to kind of give a binaural effect. But now you have microphones that are mimicking the human ear. And then in four places, like that's crazy. Can you define binaural? I'm not yeah, binaural means on either side. So when you're listening to music on your headphones, you hear it on the right or the left side. Gotcha. And how have you thought about that for yourself? Because there's, I'm getting back to just all these kind of themes of content creation, regardless of vertical, of someone who just pursues like, well, I got to have the best gear. I got to like, I don't quite have the quite right camera setup or thing or the other thing before I go and make the thing. When that's a part of the equation, but that's not really the core of anything that you would ever create. No, it's not. You have to think about what you're going to bring to the table that's going to set you apart from everybody else, whether it's what you talk about, whether it's your personality whether it's your cat, whatever it is, it can't just be about technology because anyone can come out and buy the newest, greatest things. But unless you kind of have a taste for it, unless you bring something new to the table, it's just going to be like everything else. So the technology can only get you so far. That's half of it. Yeah. So what I'm really curious about as it pertains to the growth, there was an appetite for ASMR. You even alluded to the SEO strength when you were first getting it off and how that video got discovered. But you have a real comprehensive digital marketing skill set. Like I think the other mistake that an outside observer can make is to say, well, like right moment, right time, or she just did it consistently and therefore it worked. But there had to be some strategy behind the growth of what was going on. And it's informed by a career that you have now in the digital marketing space. Can you speak a little bit to the elements outside the actual execution of the video that went into the growth of your channel? 
Right. And if you think of YouTube as being the second largest search engine in the world, you think about how many searches Google gets, think of YouTube as being just a little shy of that. People Mm -hmm. are always looking to YouTube for everything. And so the YouTube analytics platform has grown a lot since I've been on YouTube, but that's really insightful. And so when I first started my channel, I also had an internship the following summer in like analytics and search engine marketing. That's where I kind of got my feet on the ground. And it's funny because my ASMR channel kind of took off that following summer. And I kind of applied those things. I looked to see what people were searching for, what related channels were doing, getting inspiration there. And analytics, it's so fascinating what the numbers can tell you. And of course, there's like those trendy fatty type videos of like right now in the ASMR community, everyone's eating edible objects. I know that sounds really weird, but bear with me. So I guess on Etsy, people will sell like fondant or fondant. Am I saying that right? Fondant? Like the cake stuff, like cake topper stuff. Yeah. And they'll make makeup out of it. And ASMR will be like, I ate a makeup palette and things like that. And so that's really trendy right now. Okay. And so if you think about how to grow in that sense of like, okay, what is like the wave of within the niche or whatever it is? I guess like another thing to say is like mukbangs which are like the eating videos as well. Those are very, very popular. I literally only just found out about, uh, I didn't even know that that was the correct pronunciation of it because I only had read the yeah. title of it. I only found out about that like a week ago. Re- wow, you're really late. That's not even like an Jeez, ASMR that, thing, Aaron. That hurts. I'm sorry. It's like everywhere. I mean, maybe it's not everywhere, but it's very, very big in ASMR now as well. Yeah. Like, Like people love a good crunch. <laughs> That is part of it, though. There's a never-ending, a never-ceasing new thing to be discovered. Like, like regardless of anyone who you may perceive to be on the cutting edge, there's just always... I mean, maybe I'm just sounding like an old fart here, not knowing what a mukbang (laughs) is, but the it that is like the perpetual role of both the digital marketer and the creator is to continue to uncover those things. Right. And if you think about that as being the sky is the limit, that is not only daunting, but it's also exciting. It's where the like, what can is. I what can I bring to the table that's different? So recently I saw somebody do a drunk ASMR and luckily I'm 25 and so I did a drunk ASMR. And I think out of all of my videos I've ever posted in like the past three years, that one has done the best in the first 48 hours I've ever posted. Right on. So as you've <laughs> connected with other YouTubers of a similar size, whether you know, not necessarily even for a collaboration, but just that's kind of how the world works. People in similar circles run together. Do you see a similar theme or trend of a successful YouTuber with some sort of a background in another digital marketing role and that is contributing to the success they're having? Because that's what I'm in a limited scope seeing from previous interviews we've done with Brad and with John Shanahan. I'm curious if you've seen something similar. GB ASMR is one of the largest ASMR artists in the field and or I'm saying field, like the digital marketing field, but like on YouTube for ASMR. Yeah. And she has a degree in like video creation and production, things like that. Yeah. And so she's totally all over. Like her videos are so wonderfully executed. Like it's a science, like it's a talent, like she's so talented and she has the backing to back it up. Yeah. You know. So as we step back from YouTube for a moment and look at the career of Lily and this unparalleled age of you being able to build a brand around yourself, you being able to be a media company in your own right and having effectively done that, not spoken to it, but effectively done that. It's a really interesting place to sit in terms of, I alluded to like the different types of content that are out there. 
but even just the directions that you could go. Like you recently chose to go the direction of publishing a book, but when you have an attention and an audience and a creative bent, it seems like there's a lot of directions that you can go. How have you thought about like the subsequent steps of building out the things that you're doing and what type of, are you always prioritizing growth and expansion? Are you pursuing creative expression? Are you pursuing business like top line revenue for the brand that is Lily? How do you think about balancing those things? It's a really good question. So I've been writing since I was a kid and I always wanted to write a book and it wasn't really had, it didn't really have to do anything with ASMR. I mean, I touched upon that in my book, but it was just kind of those iCloud notes, like those notes within my phone that I just had to get out there. And I decided to share it with the world because I have a lot of, so my audience, just to give you a little context, it's 80% or 80 I guess 85% went female this month. It's usually about 79% female audience. So I have like a very large female audience and they're always asking me for advice and things like that. And so I felt that by honing into my own life's experiences, what better way to do that than through a book? And I try to do that with my videos as well, but sometimes people are looking to escape their problems in ASMR videos and more focused on like the sounds of whispers and things like that. So of course I didn't want to like talk about too much deep things on YouTube. So the book was kind of that medium for it. And I also have to think of my brand. There's a lot of people that are pushing merch. If you think of clothing as being the second most popular form of waste after plastic, that like really makes me depressed. I've always come from a very eco-friendly family. We were always very cognizant of recycling and turning off the lights and things like that. The little things that we could do to make up the big picture. So I knew that I never wanted to come out with like my own clothing line. I didn't want to do contribute to the consumerism in that way. But if there was some way that I could like take my words and my wisdom and put it on paper in another way, that's what I did. As far as the fueling, I guess, cat- like I guess the catalyst of what I or how I would like to grow, it really depends on my own self-growth. If I would have started YouTube with money in mind, I don't think I would be where I am today. Um, I don't. If I think of Obviously, we're all paying bills and things like that, but I genuinely enjoy making ASMR videos. I never expected to make any money from it. I never expected to land the brand deals that I did. And so anytime it starts to feel like work because it's my hobby, I stop doing it. Like when my books, like I've been working on my book for two years, if it started like feeling like work, I stopped doing it. And I don't know if that may, you know, and I know that a lot of people are different and we live in a capitalist society. And so I don't want to obviously making money from the things that I put out there is, is really gratifying. But what means more to me is the fact that people are like, wow, I can relate to this. This is amazing. And that's more fulfilling to me than it, like money in my pocket. So in a similar way, despite what has been built, if ASMR, for whatever reason, like you wake up tomorrow, it stops being fulfilling or satisfying or interesting to you you would have the capacity to let that go and go in a different direction. So I would never let it go because of the connections and the relationship that I have with my subscribers is so fulfilling beyond any dollar amount. And I can't quite describe that because in terms, because it's like, I would just continue to have that that relationship with them. If it stopped making money, I would continue doing it because I have that relationship with my subscribers and it's a hobby of mine and I genuinely enjoy doing it. Talk about what that's like. So the other side of being a media entity and having these means of distribution that no one ever had before is also your inbox or DMs or other avenues are open. 
and a lot is coming into you. Probably like un incomparable for almost anyone else listening to this out there. Like talk a little bit through what comes into your inbox, both positive and negative as you want to. Oh my gosh. I get everything from like fast fashion brands, like begging me to like send me clothes and post pictures to really creepy DMs to like stalkers to media companies. Like I've been reached out to by major, you know, I've been featured in the Washington Post, Vogue Australia, a New Yorker video, Vice UK. Like those are some really big, big media companies. And I think that was brought to me through my presence online. But I do get a lot of being, I guess, a public figure, which I never really, I hate calling myself that. But, and you know, on the internet, I have over 260,000 subscribers. You yeah. know, I feel like it's a big, big amount of people. That's like half of the humans that are in this entire metropolitan area. That is a lot of people it without any I hedging. hate thinking about that. I'm like, crap, that's so much. I remember my goal for subscribers was always getting as much to fill Beaver Stadium up at Penn State. Right on. Because I was like, F all you guys, because I got bullied the heck out of <laughs> up at school when really? I was up there. Yeah. I withdrew from university because I was bullied on my ASMR videos. Yeah. That's not cool. Talk, let's go in the positive direction. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk about some of yeah. the young people, young women yeah. that you have the opportunity to then be an outlet to or be a voice to maybe... Maybe they're going through something similar or maybe they just need a different perspective and you happen to be the person that they reach out to. I'm sure that's also happening. That's the more positive side yeah, of the yeah, yeah. subscribers I, in the audience. I get so many kind messages and emails and yeah, and DMs. And it makes me so happy because I make videos based on what I'm experiencing. So there wasn't a heartbreak ASMR video. And people always look for like ASMR for anxiety and depression. I'm like, what's another experience that we have as humans that we're always looking to talk about or have someone relate to. And that's like, okay, it's heartbreak. I personally didn't have an eating disorder, but a lot of girls that watch my content, they're like, hey, I'm struggling with body image issues. Can you talk about this on your channel? And so I've done that. And so I've gotten really, really great positive feedback from like, oh my gosh, I had my heart broken. Thank you so much for those kind words. They were really uplifting. I feel like I have a friend. And these are people that are turning to ASMR because they don't have those people in their real life to vent to on the phone or like friends like that. Um, and likewise with the body image things, you know, that's a huge issue. And I found that in college as well. A lot of my girlfriends struggled with body image issues and it wasn't a talked about subject on YouTube in the ASMR sphere. So I was like, OK, let's talk about some body positivity, things like that. What's what processes or habits or practices do you have in place to control for some of that? Because when you can effectively open your DM or whatever the platform is and all these messages are coming in, you have no idea what the next one may be. There's like the little teaser thing, but like you don't know. Yeah. And there are creepy people out there. There are incredibly kind, heartwarming people out there. And it's a, a lottery to some degree, like what it's going to be today when you open up app one, two or three. Yeah. I could get a dick pic or a fan art. You just never know. Yeah. And I've gotten both. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So, so, so what do you do to get away from it or to reset or to take time from yourself. Cause like, I know how to do that physically. I know that like, if I go in the room on the other side of the building and lock the door, like I am away, but we're dealing with apps that have been engineered to Make keep up on the dopamine drip. Yes. I actually just, Michelle Montana was, and I was on their podcast, The Influence a couple weeks ago and Alyssa and we were talking about how to break up with your phone. Like they literally build technology to make us addicted. So yeah, yeah it's crazy to think about unwinding, I'm still working on that. Yeah. I mean, I have, it feels so great to just be able to put down my phone and just be in the moment with my friends and things like that. Like I, 
used to, I think last summer when I was like kind of in a funk and kind of depressed, like I was spending more and more time online, like trying to seek these connections that I wasn't getting in my relationship or or with my friends and things like that. And there's nothing like human connection. There's nothing like self-reflection. And so I personally like to drive. I just like to get on the highway, go shopping, and like I'll go up 279 and I'll just get in my car and blast music and think. And that's my way of unwinding. Yeah. I'll take the long way home. <laughs> yeah. I have to be, for me, sometimes the email inbox can be more of a trigger than anyone. Cause I'm very lucky to just have a lot of kind of positivity coming to me across the platforms that I'm on. But opening up in my inbox, like after 9 p.m., I'm trying to just absolutely stop unequivocally. Yeah, that's difficult to do, especially because have you tried like doing the do not disturb? I did, but then I got annoyed and I was like, I don't know. I was fighting myself and I did. Because then whenever you would open up your phone after nine, you'd see like all the notifications anyway. Yeah. That's how I struggle with that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have gotten very good at figuring out if a message is going to be bad or good. And it's nice because I can click on it and see it and I don't accept all of them. Now I'll just screenshot and put them on my story because I didn't know that starting out. So I was accepting these DMs and saying, oh, thank you for the support. And now I have year long and I'm not to say that I don't like that, but there are some subscribers that I'm like, okay, they're trying to get to know me a little bit. I have to keep that level of separation with my personal and and my public life because if not, who the hell am I? Yeah. And there's a weird thing that happens because I mean, you've shared some of your story and it's like, wow, this person just is lacking some degree of EQ or social awareness. And I mean, there's plenty of people that don't necessarily get it in the real world either, but at least I can communicate non-verbally, I can communicate tonally, and I can communicate with my words that this needs to change socially, but that gets missed when I'm seeing basically an icon, an image of you, and I can then just type out whatever I want and hit send, and it's a completely divorced experience relative to what we are actually biologically primed for. Yeah, I made that error when I was first starting out. I was so... I thought it was so great that I had all these subscribers. And so I was kind of letting them into every aspect of my life, like my Snapchat, like they were sending me all these messages and I was just available 24 seven and I didn't have any time to just be Lily. And that was like crazy. And so I remember I'd like deleted Snapchat, like made a private one. And they, I go through phases like every spring where I'm like, I don't want to be in the public eye. I just want to be like not to say normal, but sometimes like when you're just online all the time and you have all these eyes on you, you just kind of want to not have. You want the opposite of what you have. So do you act on that? Like how does that actually manifest? It manifests into a lot of frustration usually and I'll go back and forth. And so what I usually do is do like a social media cleanse. I'll like delete all the apps and I'll go like dark for like a week or a week and a half and then I'll back on. And usually it's a very, and I know that sounds so pathetic, like, oh my God, a, a, only a week and things like that. But Most people aren't even doing that, even if they don't have the following like that. So that's not at all. And I knew that I was getting to be a problem because I was getting onto these apps and I was getting anxiety about not responding to these messages, about not being available to these people. And at the end of the day, like, I don't really owe anyone anything. And I was just, it's this weird thing about being an internet personality. It's like you want, you have to be present. Yeah. And because that's kind of how you build your following. Yeah. But then what do you do to step back and say, okay, this is what, like I take a drive, but I need to find other avenues to like have time to myself because you can only drive so many places. Yeah. And the reason I'm really appreciative of you speaking about it and I want to continue to have conversations in the spaces, it is just fundamentally different than anything that happened before. Like if you go 
and I'm just thinking of the first old celebrity I came, but like Frank Sinatra or some like old celebrity for as massive an awareness that they had for as insane a means of distribution that their brand had to the world and to the country and the continent, they had an immense amount of privacy because of just a different era of information technology. And so to be simultaneously sitting at a point where you are tremendously empowered, but also dealing with challenges and problems that like you hear someone like, oh, well, the Stoic philosopher, like from the Roman Empire, something like they had problems. It's like, of course, everyone had problems, but these are interesting and nuanced in ways that we haven't really ever seen before. Our her generation is so connected. It's sick. Yeah. It is It is really crazy. And then you look at the generation that's younger than us and they're getting cell phones when they're like six and you're like, oh my God. And we're just, we're in a different era. And I get it. Yeah. Everyone has their own problems and things like that. And I sound like so for like, oh, there's like bigger things happening in the world than like being on social media, of course. And so I always feel bad when I you know talk about my first world problems and privacy, but we are so available and so accessible and can get anything. It's creepy. Yeah. And I think it's tremendously important that we try to understand ourselves and understand what is actually happening because there is no playbook for anything like this before. Like there's there's other characters that you can study who are modern contemporaries, but studying a personality of the past in certain ways might be helpful, but they're not actually operating on a model like you did. Like the capacity, let's take Johnny Carson, for example. Johnny Carson was the voice of a generation, but Johnny Carson didn't really sell anything. He showed up on the TV, he got paid for the TV, and I know he had other business endeavors, (laughs) but it was a very kind of linear arrangement that he just had to knock out of the park. But in the same way that you chose to go and bring to the market your book, And you've made this conscious choice not to go in the direction of clothing. When you have an audience that's bought into what you're doing, when you have a voice and a perspective that people do value and they want to hear from, that is a tremendous amount of power to go in countless directions. There there are influencers outside of merch who are launching an alcohol brand or launching a jewelry collection or launching a makeup and perfume. Rihanna, a perfect example with Fenty. And when there are so many options and avenues to go down, it's tremendously interesting to me. It's tremendously fascinating. Yeah. And I was, I think I've been contemplating going down the makeup route, but it would have to be on brand with me. It would have to be like cruelty-free, vegan, recyclable, like all those things. And then that gets expensive. Yeah. (laughs) But it's also the way that you are and it's deeply authentic. Like, Like in the same way that it's apparent through the answers related to fashion and makeup, like you have your own set of non-negotiables. And whether it's explicit or implicit, that's coming through in the stuff that you're putting out there. Like so, someone's going to be like, well, Aaron, she did like a drunk ASMR. That has nothing to do with cruelty-free makeup. But like the way that you are and the consistent values that you carry with you are manifesting themselves regardless of whether you're consciously putting that out into the world. Oh, yeah. Not. In my drunk ASMR, I also talked about makeup. So it's just always, I'm always just me. Yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. It's an exciting future. I'm excited to continue to follow along and see what other moves you make. Anything you would like to share today before we do our standard sign-off? I mean, if you're interested in ASMR, you should definitely check out my channel. It's called Lily Whispers ASMR, L-I-L-Y, Whispers, and then ASMR. Stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response also, if anyone's curious. 
Right on. Hopefully I remember to do that in the <laughs> intro so people aren't like halfway through, like, what are they talking about? We're going to link that. We're going to link Lily's Instagram, Twitter, all her other good links in the show notes for this episode. You can find it com slash podcast for this and every episode of the show. But as we do, Lily, at the end of each interview, I want to give you the mic one more time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. Yeah, try deleting Instagram for a week and see how you do. I found it incredibly insightful. And then after I went dark for a week, I just don't post as much. Now I just post memes on my story. I don't know why. I just like, it was very cleansing. Even just, even if you can't even do a week because it's your business or something like that, try three to five days, just The world will keep spinning. Yeah, exactly. And that's the scariest part, but also the most rewarding, I think. Totally. Well, this has been great. We just went deep with Lily D. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for watching the end of my interview with Lily. I'm really curious if you've ever taken a digital detox, a digital sabbatical. What do you do? What practices do you have to have a healthy relationship with your devices and with social media? Let me know in the comments below.